Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to episode two of More Than a Title. I was going to do the intro, y'all, but we're a little late on time, so we wanted to just get right to it, man. So sorry for the technical difficulties. Thank you for everybody joining. Thank you for all the support. So just to kind of set the table, I'm your host, Jared Thomas, as usual. And, you know, wanted to start this series, as you heard before, you know, I've listened to too many business podcasts, and it's always the same topic, same people in the circuit. And I wanted to create this to give listeners and myself an opportunity to get to know the person behind the title and learn a bit more about their personal and professional journey. So today I have a special, special guest joining me. He has 10 years of experience in the content strategy and communications. He's worked at places like Reuters News, Sky, Philip Morris International, and is now one of the head of social media for a Fortune 200 brand. Let's give a special welcome to Duarte Garrido. How are you, my brother? I'm good, Jared. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man, for coming on, man. It's a pleasure and it's an honor. So everybody just set the table, man. This is me and DG's first time actually meeting, right? <laughs> so, so we've been connected with each other for about at least six, seven months now. And we've just been, you know, we've created a great bond. And I think I want to share the story before we, you know, go into your personal journey, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it, dude. I would love to. It. So, you know, I, I just like, I forgot what I saw on your LinkedIn, but I think I've seen a post of yours or something that I like one of my, you know, followers liked one of your posts. I saw that. I see global head of social media. I'm like, all right, cool, man. I would love to learn from him. But the, why I want to bring it up is that most sellers would have got happy ears and saw that and immediately pitched you. And it was completely different. It was just, man, happy holidays, brother. Like, I, I loved your post, man. And shit, do you want to be on the podcast one day? Like, let's get to know each other. And from there, it was just a, a, a I think we had like, I think we spoke for like half the day that day or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. A genuine connection, which is, yeah, it's, it's uncommon on LinkedIn through DMs, isn't it? Oh, so uncommon, bro. It's yeah. either I'm gonna get the Forex pitch, I'm gonna get this pitch, I'm getting how do you get more leads and treating me as if I am a lead. I'm like, all right, if you can yeah. generate leads, then you wouldn't need to generate me, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> So all of that stuff, man. So it, it was just a really good conversation. We connected, we bonded, and to have you here on the show, brother, it's a it's an honor, man. So thank you. That's an honor to be here. Thank you, brother. So let, let's get into it, man. I know we're a little tardy today because of technical difficulties, but let, let's start no, from always. the top, man. You know, it's technology, man. But um, let's start at the top, man. How did you how did you get into the industry? Tell us a little bit about your, your personal journey. Like how, you know, let's say right after high school, how did you get into the industry? How did you find your passion? And we'll take it from to where you are now. Sure, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to skip through all the uh, complications of my early career. I you know I, I I did this stint as a chef for a couple of years and I was, you know, a gardener and uh, I worked in a warehouse and all kinds of stuff. But um, mm. about 10 years ago, I I decided to become a journalist and uh, and I moved from Portugal uh, to London wow. to study international journalism. And I got an unpaid internship at Reuters. And uh, and that went well, so they started giving me freelance gigs, uh, and that went well. So I I became a producer and I became an on-screen reporter, even though my accent sucked. And <laughs> uh, and yeah, I covered you know film festivals, Cannes, Venice. Uh, I did the Rio Olympics. I was the official Reuters TV on-screen reporter for the Rio Olympics, which was wow. the coolest and most daunting thing I've ever done. Wow. Uh, then I realized I actually, you know, I, I, I suck on camera, so I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna pivot, I'm gonna pivot to something else. And then I, I went on to Sky News um, to write uh, on their entertainment section on digital, uh-huh. and I was the entertainment editor for a while. I did uh, movie reviews, which was always sort of like a, a passion of mine, uh, yeah. and they gave me the freedom to do that, which was 
pretty amazing to be honest um you know i was a no one and they gave me a stage and uh and they listened to my opinion and my voice and there was it was awesome man shout out and, to them man shout yeah, out to shout them. them really yeah honestly though london has been very uh, very good to me and then suddenly I, i was at sky and i just realized that the pieces i was writing as a reporter and were published on the website i had no control on the distribution side So when it when they went to social media, it was a whole separate team. They worked in a silo. Yeah. Uh, there, there was no communication. I just thought, you know what, this is maybe there's something we can do here. Maybe I should reach out to the social media team and have a bit more input uh, and give a little bit, lend a little bit of my voice uh, to the posts, you know, to the distribution side of my of my articles, and that kind of that bridge that I created between the digital desk and the social media desk gave me the opportunity to start doing stuff on social media. And eventually I got hired to sort of run their day-to-day -day operations on social media at Sky News. And, uh, and that was pretty cool. Uh, so I did that for a year. And then eventually I got a really weird uh, uh, sort of invitation to go on to Philip Morris International which is, as you all know, a sort of big tobacco company, yeah. uh, not really used to communicating, but they were they had decided to pivot away from cigarettes. So okay. to stop cigarettes altogether and to start um, and to, to, to become a sort of science and technology company. And they wanted mm. to communicate that to the world, you know, and they wanted to be on social media. They wanted to, yeah. uh, they wanted to you know, build a website and, 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 and do paid and uh, earned, and owned uh, communications. And a lot of content, a lot of educating the consumer. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I helped them do that. So I became their uh, deputy head of global social media. And I, uh, I activated over 70 plus markets to, uh, to you know, be on social and to communicate externally as well. And uh, I built a, a social team from scratch, or I helped build a social team from scratch. And it became a really sort of agile and uh, well-oiled um, engine. Yeah. And, uh, and when I became obsolete and irrelevant and the team sort of ran itself, I decided to leave. And, uh, and that led me to Coca-Cola HPC, where I am now, uh, wow. as their group head of social media. So that's in a nutshell. That's my story. That that's amazing, man. First, there's so many things I want to ask you about. First, let's start from the beginning, man. How did you go from a chef to a journalist? W what was the thought process there, right? Well, there wasn't any. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the rant. <laughs> yeah, I, I think thought didn't have a single thing to do with it. No, I mean, I, you know, I was I was I was 18 when I first went to to university, and okay. um, and I went to university to study cinema. Okay. That was my sort of first passion. I was like, you know what? I love movies. I understand movies. I'm a creative guy. This is what I want to do. I want to, you know, I want to be in cinema. But halfway through the first semester of college, I just realized this is this is not for me. You know, this is yeah. like it's it's obsolete. Uh, we were studying, you know, the history of cinema, which is something that I was already familiar with. But it was all very theoretical, and I just yeah. I didn't feel stimulated. And I also it was Portugal, you know, and the and the movie industry in Portugal is not really thriving, you know. Yeah. So I just at a certain point I decided, you know what, I I don't think this is it. Yeah. Uh, and I decided to have a go at advertising and marketing because I thought, you know what, I'm a creative guy. This is at least something practical. I can see a career being built out of this. 
So I moved to advertising and marketing school and I said, you know what, this isn't for me either. And at that point, I was 19 years old and I decided, you know what, what I need to do is I need to do something practical and useful with my hands. Yeah. I need to I need to forget about building a career and start building, you know, a sort of a an old school um, purpose work. Yeah. Sort of, you know, you know purpose-led work. And I thought, okay, so what am I good at? What do I know how to do? Okay, I'm really good at cooking. I was always very good at cooking. It was always sort of like a side passion of mine. And I, I decided, you know what, that's what I'm going to sort of dedicate my life to. Yeah. So I went ahead and I, I, I went to a cooking school and I did a bit of that. And uh, when I finished cooking school, it was like, it was a short course. It was like four or five months uh, between Lisbon and Barcelona. And then I started working as a cook uh, throughout several restaurants in Lisbon. Uh, Some of them pretty mediocre. Uh, (laughs) Eventually, eventually some of them were quite good. And then I I got a stint at a really fancy place uh, uh, near my hometown, overlooking the Tagus River. I mean, it was the perfect restaurant. And I had a job as a chef there, and I uh, I was really enjoying it. Uh, so I decided, but at that point I was really young as well. I was like twenty one. Yeah. And and I had you know, it was the, the start of the rest of my life. And I remember at that point I was earning quite a bit of cash, and I and I thought you know, I can probably buy a flat right next to the place I work, and uh, and this is it, and I'm settled. And I was looking at a flat. It was like a 10-minute walk from uh, from the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the day I was meant to sign the contract on the flat, I had sort of like an epiphany. Um, I don't know wow. if it was an epiphany or just uh, kind of a, a really big scare. Uh, that that the, the 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 kind of scares you have when you're 21, That's and so and you get the whole your whole life decided for you. And I th- and I thought, I mean, this is this isn't it, you know. This isn't what I'm going to do. This isn't where I'm going to live. I've got there is more to life than this, and I just don't feel like I'm ready to settle yet. So I scratched all of that. I wow. grabbed the little cash that I had put aside working uh, in in several restaurants. I quit my job and I went backpacking through South America for uh, for five months. Wow. So I left everything behind, and that's what I did with the money. Just like <laughs> so my money traveling. That. Yeah, it was it was crazy. But I was twenty one, you know. And to be honest, I think it was the wisest decision I've ever made. Oh, because, definitely. Because I would have, you know, I, I look back now and I think, where would I? I mean, if I hadn't made that decision today, I I would I was going to be, you know, five minutes away from where I was born. I wouldn't have gotten to move countries to know different cultures because after that five year trip, a five month trip around South America backpacking, I then did Southeast Asia and I did Europe and I traveled yeah. overall. It was over 50 countries I've, I've done. And wow. that, that opened my, that opened up my sort of uh, understanding of the world so much. And it That's got crazy. me, it was, yeah. It was it was really important, and that was when I decided to go back to university. So I went back to Portugal at the end of, of those five months. I got a job at night uh, working in a warehouse uh, just to pay for my studies, 
And yeah, I, I took a bachelor's in political science because I thought, you know what, this is going to, this is what's going to sort of, this is my way into being a, a war reporter and a political reporter. Because yeah. that's what I decided I wanted to do. You know, I'm a man of the world. I've, I've traveled through all these countries. Now I'm going to take all that knowledge, take all that, you know, cultural insight and do something with it, you know, and share it with people. Yeah. So I, uh, I I finished my bachelor's in Portugal, and then I moved to London to to take my master's. And halfway through my master's, I got the uh, I got the internship uh, at Reuters in London, and that was it. That is an amazing story. So for, there's so many things that we can unpack there, and I want to pack some for the listeners. One is the fact that you trusted your gut, right? You was about to sign the contract and Udi from Gong was on here last week and he said something similar to that. When you know it's right, always trust your gut. And your gut said, no, if I sign this paperwork, this is probably going to be my life. I'm going to be complacent. Like this is my ceiling, right? This could be my ceiling. And then you just said, I'm going out on a limb, taking my money and I'm going to go. And that's what makes you a great marketer. Because then you've traveled and you've got to know people and understand those particular markets. So you know how to market to them when you're at those particular, you know, the specific brands. Right. So I always tell everybody, I think the best marketers are creatives and people who worked in the the hospitality industry. So like for me, I was a waiter. So my big thing in order for me to eat, man, I was making minimum wage. I had to create the best damn experience at your table. I would sit there as soon as you sip water, this, there's a straw, what's that? Whatever the hell it was, right? I would yeah. use, you know what I mean? Whatever it was, I'd make sure you have an experience. I give you five stars experience and we're at Dallas BBQs where the meal was probably like 50 bucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was what it was, man. And, and I got so good at it after a while, I would have a waiting room, like a waiting line. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for Jared's table because he's going to make sure he's going to give me a little extra shot glass. You know, he's going to do something special for me and he's going to make it right. So I think that's that's really key. And then another thing that you mentioned was the content distribution aspect, right? So you as a journalist and as a creative, you're like, look, I'm doing all this work. I'm making this content, right? But what the hell? Is anybody seeing it? So let me talk to the people who are actually distributing the content and let me talk to social and then you just connected the dots. So that's yeah. insane. I love and it. I got that, and I, it's weird because I think I got that from, from my, well, I think I always tell my wife, I think I get everything from my, from my years working as a chef in a kitchen. Because when you're working in a kitchen, you get you get the agile framework, right? That you now use all over marketing. Yep. <laughs> you you build you build work ethics, but you build a, a sort of a real agile workflow because you're forced to it because that's the nature of kitchen yep. work, right? Line cooks so you different. Yeah. Exactly. You really learn organization. You learn work work streams between different departments, right? Uh, different stages of product, and like you said. Content distribution, in a certain way, that's what that's what kitchen work is. So yeah. I think that really shaped my career, um, I, and it made me a, a, just a better worker overall. That, because it taught me the value. It also taught me the value of a desk job. Yeah. So, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? I know, right? You just said a choir, brother. When I got my first little forty k salary, woo! I ain't letting yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Never exactly ever. It. I feel lucky, and I've, I, I, I tell that to everyone, you know, people that I now mentor and people that I sort of, uh, that work for me in, in different teams, and I always tell them, these are younger guys, and I tell them, listen, if you've never had a blue-collar job, you're going to struggle to get, to, to be thankful every day for not, you know, for not being sweating in a kitchen doing 16-hour shifts. Oh, man. Because when you do that, you know, after after four or five years, it stops. 
it starts to break you, right? For sure. You have to be incredibly resilient. And um, and that's, yeah, I mean, what I have now, it's, it's easy. Yeah, that's crazy. Let's talk about that, man. It's, it, it, it's easy. Like, like, all right. So coming from the places you've come from, like, what has been the most challenging job out of all of those that you've had? And like, what is like the... What is the biggest challenge working working as a head of a social media group? Like, what's the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge was, without a doubt, my time at Philip Morris. Okay, and that's because you know it, it was a challenge per se because it was it was a challenge from the company side. You know, they yeah. were they were living through the biggest transformation, not only as a company, but they were trying they are trying to disrupt the whole industry. Yeah, imagine the biggest. The biggest tobacco company in the world saying we're going to stop selling our bread and butter cigarettes. Uh, and this is not because anyone's forcing their hand. It's because they anticipate, uh, you know, a, a change in the environment and yeah. they need and they, they feel like they need to disrupt themselves. They need to cannibalize their business. They need to be better. They've they found a purpose. Shout out to them for for finding that out after millions of <laughs> billions of dollars, but that's what's I up. <laughs> I know, but that's but, but you know that's 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 what we're experiencing now, and we're seeing all kinds of big companies yeah. taking a step back and thinking, this isn't about this isn't the seventies anymore. It's not about selling product because consumers today they would rather buy purpose than product. So we need to rethink what is our purpose? What is our mission? How can we do good in the world? How can we be better as a company? Because ultimately, that is what's going to attract employees. That's what's going to attract customers. That's what's going to attract investors. That's what's going to make us thrive as a company, right? So true. So you have to have that vision. And I, I honestly think that companies that don't have that vision, they are not going to make it in 2022. And they're sure. definitely not going to make it in 2030 or 2040. For sure. For sure. That That's insane, man. So what, how, what was your feeling, man, as like being the head of social media? They come to you and say, look, we're changing our whole business model. Here's the content. And now distribute this to the world. Like, were you nervous at that point? Like, were there any like reservations for you? Did you want to say, man, what the hell are we doing? Like, what was going through your mind? I mean, yeah, I, I had. Listen, I had reservations when when I got offered the role. Right. Yeah. Um, as, as, as I think with anyone that that came in to build this this sort of global comms content studio from scratch. I think everyone had reservations because at this point, everyone has reservations coming into a big tobacco company. But it's when you hear the story and the purpose and the mission and the values and the will to change, yeah. that's when you think, okay, I'm not joining Philip Morris International, the, the, the big tobacco company. I'm joining Philip Morris International the science and technology driven company. And that's so obviously, yeah, that was, that was the first challenge. The second challenge is, okay, now that I'm here, how can I actually make a difference? How can I help this company do something good? Um, And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't up to me to do the good. The good was done by the scientists. The good was done by the senior management team because they had the vision, they had the tools, they had the know-how. So my role as a communicator was to help them shape their narrative and help them communicate that narrative to their key stakeholders, you know, yeah. to the people who, 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 who could help them pivot away from cigarettes. Yeah. Because definitely. as a company, you realize you can't do it yourself. 
You know, sure. you're part of a bigger ecosystem. So you need the help of the media. You need the help of industry regulators. You need the help of the medical and science community. Yeah. You need the help of the consumers as well. You need the consumers to throw away their cigarettes. Yeah. You need them to stop consuming cigarettes because one of the things that Philip Morris said from the start was, listen, if we just stop selling cigarettes tomorrow, our customers will just buy cigarettes from someone else. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And we're not actually making a difference. We're cannibalizing our company for no specific reason. So yeah. what we need to do is we need to change the habit of the consumer. So that's the whole journey, mm. and it's a mm. much more complicated uh, thing to do. Yeah, so it. you need to work. You need to work in in unison with so many other actors, and you need their help as well. So it's. It, I mean, it's. It, it was a huge challenge, and it was. It's, it was really rewarding because one of the things, as a you know, as a content creator, I came in and I thought, okay. I'm the deputy head of global social for them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create content and we're going to push content out. But then I realized, you know what, this, as a social media manager, as a person who understands social media, I don't think that pumping content out as a company, especially as a big brand, will mm -hmm. do anything. Because you, what, yep. we, what you do is you create an echo chamber, right? <laughs> You're pushing content for in, in the sort of the vacuum of, of social media. Yep. No one's listening to you. No one's engaging with you, but most importantly, you're not listening to anyone. Mm, and that's that's, what I kept, that's the envelope I kept pushing when I was at Philip Morris was, listen, we need to listen, not just communicate, but listen. We, we need to create a conversation. And uh, one of the, so, so one of the, the, biggest, the, the, the biggest campaigns I, I sort of pushed when I was there was a campaign called Let's Talk. And that was all, the whole ethos of it, the whole purpose of it was – Let's find where our key audiences are. Let's find our communities on social media. Let's step into them. Let's use, you know, marketing tactics to, to get to them, to insert ourselves in the conversation, and then to listen to them, and then to invite them to speak to us, to say, you know what, you're our critics. Tell us what your, um, what, what your suspicions are. Tell us what you're skeptical about. Mm. Let's start a conversation. And then we can show you the science that we have be, you know, behind our smoke-free products, you know, yeah. that are, that are a, a better alternative to continued smoking. Yeah. And we can exchange, you know, scientific know-how. We can exchange uh, scientific papers, peer-reviewed papers. And, then, and that's how you sort of build a community of trust, right? Yeah. When you open up your science... When you open up the way you do business, the way you create your product, and you make it sort of you make it a team work, and that's and that's even the core purpose of peer reviewing, right? Yeah, is that the scientific community already has that mindset because when they they when they study something, they open it to their peers. It's a bit it's a bit it always reminds me of Google and yeah. their ethos and and how they sort of how they counter Apple. Apple is a closed system, right? You can't yeah. really do anything with it. Closed ecosystem, yeah. Yeah, and Google was, their their whole purpose as a company, you you, you read things, you read uh, books about how, the way Google started about Larry Page and Sergey Brin, and it was always about opening their systems to the consumer and yeah. that putting, putting the user at the center of everything they did. And that's such a powerful concept. 
Such a powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The fact, the fact that you listen to the customer, right? Like a lot of brands are just, like you said, pump out the content. This is what it is, but this is the messaging falling flat. Our employees are sharing messaging that's falling flat. The consumer does not care. They're still going to smoke the cigarettes. So I'm curious to know too, like what metrics were you judging at that point? Right. Like, how did you know that these conversations were being successful? Right. Were you I'm assuming you one, you did like audience persona research, like who are our customers? Why are they smoking? What are they doing? Where are they where are they con- congregating? Right. Where do they accept the content? Right. So we could be in those areas and then understanding how do we generate that content to get that. But like what other metrics are tied to it? Were you looking at like, did you have UTM stuff? Did you did you track the website metrics as well? Like, how do you how did you quantify social success in that role? There were loads of different metrics to, quali- to to sort of qualify social success in different campaigns. But yeah. I think, and, and the crazy thing is, listen, one of the things we did was we actually created a campaign called Unsmoke, which was a huge global campaign, which was meant to get people off cigarettes. I, so I must have missed it. I didn't see it, man. I need to see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> open, open, up, open up any Philip Morris International website or or go to their social media brand uh, camp, um, to the social media accounts go to twitter go to facebook go to instagram there's an unsmoke your world instagram account and it's a whole it's a whole campaign of trying to get people off cigarettes so imagine you're a company and you're convincing your consumers to stop using your product right that's insane it's insane. It's insane. It's completely disruptive. That's how insane. And, and that's the reason why I took the job in the first place. It's like, as a communicator, is there anything more challenging than that and more sort of left field? But it, it was yeah, it was cool, man. But anyway, one of the biggest metrics that we tracked, uh, anyway, one of the biggest metrics that I tracked specifically mm-hmm. and that I paid attention to in the whole plethora of stuff that we tracked was sentiment. God. That was my biggest thing, right? Because what, as a big tobacco company, what's your biggest problem? Detractors. Yeah. You are not trusted as a brand, right? Exactly. You just want my money. You're going to kill me. Whatever the case, whatever the sentiment is, right? Of the well, the sentiment is negative, right? Of when you course. get to a big tobacco company and you start looking at social media, you, you 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 realize, you listen, and you realize there are people who absolutely hate you, and you are not trusted as a brand. Yeah. But by the way, this isn't just a, a big tobacco problem. This is most companies right now have a trust issue. I mean, yeah. you look at you look at. Uh, have you seen the Edelman Trust Barometer? That was yes, that yes, was yes. I have. Yep. I mean, look at that. Distrust. You know, according to Edelman, distrust is now society's default emotion. Now think about that for a second. Our default emotion as a society is based on doubt and suspicion of intent, man. Mm. So the, the intent of governments and the media, the intent of companies, the intent of, of business leaders, even the yeah. intent of NGOs. So people are distrustful of all of these uh, entities. So really the challenge for any big brand in, in 2022 is how do you regain that trust? Yeah, right? That's so true. How do you regain that trust, especially in the younger generations, in yeah. Gen Z? Well, I mean, Gen Z, they... These are, this is a generation that puts values at the heart of everything they do. So as a brand, you need to realize that purpose and mission, sure, it's important, but it's no longer enough. You need to have values as a brand. 
Oh man, that that's gold. If anybody listening, DG, you are spitting game right now, bro. I mean, you're making me geek out because I, I love hearing this stuff. Like, I, this is what I talk about all day, every day. And I I want to get into a few things before I let you go, man. Because I know we're coming up on time. But one thing I do want to talk to you about, right? As a head of social media for for a big brand like Coca Cola, right? Obviously, I'm working at Hootsuite. And I'm curious, like our interaction was completely different. It wasn't based off sales or anything like that. But how would you want to be communicated as somebody who's a head of social media? So if I'm in Hootsuite and I'm trying to connect with you, how do you want to be communicated with? How would I get your attention? Like a human being, man. Exactly like the way you did. Remember, I just... <laughs> My man. I'm ready to drop, I'm ready to drop the damn mic. It is. Yeah, just drop the mic. I don't have a mic. I'm dropping it. <laughs> But, but isn't isn't it that I mean? Don't we all just want to be talked to like like human beings? So true. And that's what and that's what as a marketer you need to keep fighting this sort of notion of of looking at people as numbers, right? Yeah. Looking at people as data, as metrics. Just look at people as people. Stop building audience personas that are really niche and that are really sort of set, you know. Uh, and and just start connecting with people in a in a human, authentic, empathic way, uh, and and start small. You know, yeah. As a company, you need to think big but act small. Especially as a marketer, I think you need to Love it. think big but act small. You need to go to that person to person relationship, and that's exactly what you did with me, Jared. Man, and that was, that was and that's what and that's what sort of you know you built a relationship with me. You built a relationship of trust. So now, in, in all honesty, dude, if if I need to book, uh, uh, if I need to, to to subscribe to a social media um, uh, uh, listening platform or to a social media content uh, management platform, I will choose Hootsuite. My man. I'll drop the bike again, DJ. And I'll tell you right now, I won't choose Hootsuite just because it's a great platform, which it is. It is. But I will choose Hootsuite because I will now trust you to tell me what's best for me. Because exactly. now you're not just a salesman. You're not just a salesperson trying to push a product. No. You're a friend. Exactly. And that's what I keep, and that's what I keep advocating for. It's like, and that's what, how you should use social media to, to, to regain trust and turn detractors into supporters, into friends. You know, instead of being the guy who pushes a product, be the new friend who, you know, listens to their stories, who invites them to a podcast, exactly. who listens to their career uh, trajectory, who asks them questions. And you build that relationship of trust. So when I need a product that you're selling and a competitor comes in with a better product, maybe, or a cheaper product than yours, I won't care. I would rather buy it from you. Because it's more value. It's more, yeah. it's the trust is there. And I, I tell people that all the time. It's like, first of all, I can't sell to you if I don't know what your problem is, right? If I'm just hitting you up like, hello, what's in the DM? Like I have a, a general idea of what you may be facing, but I don't know. But to be honest with you, this is why I started the podcast, right? There's more value in the lessons of the story. I learned more in the story of you being the chef and you moving around and it, I, it instantly clicked of all your marketing skills. It just, boop, boop, it just clicks, right? But I get more value of that than me just saying, hey, you know, come see Hootsuite and now you're just doing me a favor, but I lose the sales leverage. You know what I mean? Like the leverage is, like you said, that that trust, that one-to-one connection. Because I'm going to tell you the truth, man. This is what it does X, Y, Z, because I want you to be successful, man. I'm going to still get a beer with you afterwards. Like, And that, why would I want to do that? You know, why would I not want to do the right thing for you? And all you have to do is scale that. Like, I'll, I'll give a quick story. It was a social media manager. Um, she had the last name as me. 
Her name is Kendra Thomas. Shout out to Kendra. So we connect. The first thing I say, what up, Cuzzo? When is the barbecue? You know what I mean? We both got last name. Ty. I don't know. We could be related. I don't know. But guess what? I guarantee I was the only person that reached out to her that way. Yeah. And, and, and then it connects. And now we, we had a conversation for two, three hours. Now, if I do need something, it's the same thing. So, guys, think about it. Just be a person and not a lead. I know it's hard to see it on Zoom info. You get a, a the email, you get a name, you see the org charts. But there are people just like you, man, with KPIs, all that other stuff with families, kids. Treat it as such, man. Treat it as a friend, man. And it's much more valuable. And it's the only way. I mean, it, it comes full circle because it's really the only way for you to share your values, right? That's it. Even, as a human being, sure, but even as a brand, think about it in a brand perspective. A brand is trying to communicate on social media. They want to communicate their values, the values that they've set themselves, right? Because that's the way to win over Gen Z's heart, because that's the way to to, to get Gen Z to wear your shirt as a brand, is if yeah. they relate to your values, is if they see their values reflected on your brand. In you. But how do you do that without a human-to-human relationship? How do you yeah. do that? I mean... Social media is the perfect place to do that, man. Build that, build that human relationship, that relationship of of, of trust, of you know, of, of 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 empathy, yeah, of authenticity, right? Yeah, and, and that's how you build your reputation as a company. That's how you cement, and that's how you grow. That's how you sell product as well. That's it, man. It that's comes it. To a cycle. It's it's so simple, right? You just have to get that. Just have to get into that mindset. But the problem is the way we were taught as salespeople is instant gratification and not to think yeah. long term. So yeah. that's why I say that all the time. Like the way I even started this was me just challenging the, the damn norms. Right. Like, why am I sending a thousand emails to people that don't know our brand, don't care about us, don't want to talk to me? And guess what? They're not going to see the brand name. They're going to see Jared Thomas on it. And how do I want to be remembered? Not like the guy who sent you the terrible email that you just threw in a delete file. I don't want to be that. So that's what I wanted to do, right? So challenge the status quo. You create the experience, right? The sales stuff is cool, but that's just the North Star. How you get to that North Star is up to you. Agreed. That's, that, that's Agreed. what it is, man. So, and I know I got one more last question for you, DG. Okay, go for it. I, I would love to know, like, so what do you think, what are some of the biggest trends you think that are coming up in social media? Like, what is something that brands, marketers should be looking at? Like, I'll give you a quick what I think. I think in the next two years, especially in B2B, I think influencer marketing, employee advocacy is going to go through the roof. People like myself, you, who the ones who are active on social media are really going to control the brand narrative. But also what I see is I think there's going to be more brand collaborations. I think of it like streetwear. Right. So when you see like the Kith and Tommy Hilfiger brands, right, you're going to see more of those legacy brands, those big brands like a Coca-Cola, maybe partnering with Hootsuite, maybe partnering with Gong, maybe partnering those collaborations because all of our customers are using our products. But how can we connect the data to know what they really want to give them a unified experience? I agree. I think that's definitely the direction of travel. But I also think that it, it it's going to be social media is going to be more local than global. I think that big brands are going to realize that they need to win customers' hearts on social media by building small niche communities locally, you know, and be useful to them there. You've got, you see, you can still do your big campaigns using your your influences, you know, for for the global reach. You can still do that. But your, your BAU, you're always on content. You're always on strategy on social will be, connecting and being useful to people, to individual people, you know? 
And it's that individual human-to-human connection. I think that's not just the future of B2C. That's the future of B2B as well. Yeah. One of the things I always say, and you know, I, I, know, I don't think this is an original thought of mine, by the way, but it's something that I push very hard, is that there is no such thing as B2B or B2C because it's all people-to-people. That's it. It's people-to-people. Uh, Obviously, you know, as a marketer, I realize strategies change. But at the heart of it, just realize that there is a person on the other side. There's a person on the other side, you know, and and the whole no like trust, you know, the big marketing mantra that we've been following for years. It's never been as real as it is now with social media. You know, you need to know someone. Yeah, you need to like that someone and then you trust them. And then only then can you pitch them a product or service. Right. Love it. Love it, man. You, you hit the nail on the head, DG, man. First of all, um, I know we went over and let me just apologize for the technical difficulties once again, brother. But for this, for this to be our first conversation, man, like this is magical, bro. Like we, we to be this like minded, we've never met. First of all, I love it. Right, bro. Like I, I've learned so much, man. Thank you for taking time out today. I'm evening now for you, brother, just to come and chat and share your wisdom, brother. It's an honor. And anytime you're in ATL or New York, you know, I got a cold one waiting for you, bro. So just let me know. Yeah. You're going to hook me up. That's a deal, man. You know it. You know it, man. And thank you for everybody who's watching at home or at the office. Shout out to my entire Hootsuite team. I love y'all. A-team, what's up? Um, Next week, we've got CMO of Hootsuite, Maggie Lower, coming in. So we're going to have a really, really sick conversation. Can't wait to have that. Maggie's the best. If you don't know her, get in tune. She's one of the best marketers that I've had the privilege to talk with. So I'm excited to have her on. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. And DG, much love as always, my brother. Yeah, likewise, Jared. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you, brother. See you guys next week. And this is episode two of More Than a Title. Talk to you guys soon. See you next week.